0: Hello and welcome to Soho Radio's Composers on Film. I'm very happy to welcome my guest, Rob Lewis. How are you, Rob? Very well, all things considered. I'm very well. All things considered, exactly. I should say that we are recording this in the time of coronavirus and C-19 and therefore you're over in sunny Walthamstow.
1: Yep, and the sun is shining, so...
0: Which is a good thing, considering what we and the world at large are going through. And I'm in sunny Ramsgate, and as I'm by the seaside, we may well be interrupted by seagulls. <laughs> but you know what? That's all part of the process right now. We're do- we're doing what we can remotely and staying home. There's worse things to be interrupted by, aren't there? Definitely. It's definitely worse things to be interrupted by. So... When you started to learn music, um, I know you learned at a very young age, was it six?
1: Yeah, or five, maybe even earlier, five, six. I probably started on the recorder or something terrible like that, cool. around that age. And then, <laughs> and then I was sort of switched to violin, um, which I didn't enjoy that much. And then I found the cello, which is something I always wanted to play. But that was probably about six when I started the cello, yeah.
0: So you, you really had a very early attraction to that instrument.
1: Yeah. And you know what, if I'm honest, I think at the time... The only reason I wanted to play it instead of the violin was because it was bigger.
0: <laughs> That's a very good a, reason.
1: And it had a spike, which I could, you know, and then that, the rest is history.
0: And when you compose now, because you, you compose for a variety of projects, you do installations, you do your own albums and you do film work, obviously. Do you tend to always compose on the cello itself or do you work it out on keyboards or how does the music come to be?
1: Uh, depending depending on what it's for. If it's, if it's a... Um, something specifically cello based obviously then obviously makes sense to start on the cello but um, when it's sort of more score work it's it tends to be just kind of sitting in front of a a keyboard or in front of logic or whatever door I'm using Um, and so I usually have a go-to sound or instrument and then start with that and just let the sort of rest take shape around it but it's like brief led you just kind of let that steer you.
0: And presumably you know if, as it's a brief you've got to send it back and forth as people are deciding whether that works to picture or not and
1: yeah exactly exactly and um and then the stuff when it's when been asked to compose stuff for installations and things like that when it's more specifically the cello that's like a seems to be a rare luxury where you just get to sit down and be you know get lost in in the instrument whereas normally it's a bit like you know work <laughs> Fight, fighting fire <laughs> oh yeah
0: and uh, we opened today's show with a piece that's called evolution and it comes from a project an installation that google commissioned so paint a picture of what this installation looked and felt like for me and the audience
1: yeah okay so it was maybe I should um, set the scene in that I originally wrote some music for um, a show and installation at Kew Gardens in 2018 which was Specifically asked to be looping cello, and actually hadn't done much looping cello stuff before, but I had played with as a session musician years back with um, Beardy Man, who's an incredible beatboxer, and not just a beatboxer, actually just a, an amazing musician and tech creator. And um, he kind of ushered me towards the world of, world of looping, and um, I we had this weird improvised band called masters of distraction where we jump on stage and have no idea what we we're about to do and take suggestions from the audience um and there was a rapper who did this free amazing freestyles you know it was like all improvisation hit and, a bit hit and miss we had some great ones and we had some times where you know we spent 30 minutes of a set in front of ten thousand people at a festival restarting our computers <laughs> um and uh you know there were varying degrees of joy to be had from it. But I what the one thing I did get from it was sort of getting a bit of a grounding and looping from Darren, who is Beardy Man. And um and so, like most things, when someone rings you up and asks you if you do something, you just say yes and then work it out afterwards. And um this the Q Gardens show was sort of the entry point to doing some looping cello stuff. And so I started playing around and experimenting with some pieces. And uh they liked them. And then the show ran for um, what was that coming at 18 weeks, every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and we were performing in the Temperate House, which was their newly refurbished Victorian greenhouse. And it was a trapeze artist choreographed above.
0: One of my questions was, I remember it being really hot in the Temperate House, and that must have affected your instruments and being so hot. New. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it, I mean, there were just so many moving parts to that. It was like, once you solved one thing... A speaker wouldn't work, and then once you solve that speaker, you know your your cello had melted. Or it's all it's always present, and you can never quite relax. And even when you think you've got it, it's something something else comes up. So it's one of those things. But it was it was a great entry point into that world because I got invited to Los Angeles to perform some of the looping cello stuff, and somebody who saw one of the shows uh, happened to work for Google. Which is a great thing, and uh, yes. he was a really nice guy. And he came and chatted to me afterwards, and we had this, I'd say, quite quite familiar conversation where, like, I might have a project for you in a few months, and you you kind of take it as a pinch of, with a pinch of salt, and then he actually followed up on it which is <laughs> the strangest things uh yeah well
0: it is and especially in LA Yeah, I didn't want to say to that LA. but... <laughs> I, I can say it because I live yeah, there. yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah <laughs> so that was you know even more rare that something happened but he he followed up and he this this project with Google was essentially um uh, he had he's an experiential architect for Google which I had to look up and but it basically means he designs the feel of of Google's spaces and stuff and Um, he basically said they're opening this space to run workshops for their clients um, in LA and you know they wanted it it to be completely immersive experience whereby they come in and they're greeted you know everything feels right whether it's the smell of the place or the you know the lighting and and um, you're and they guide their participants through this whole day's workshop and seminar and then um, there'd be music happening in different rooms and different stages and so he asked me to compose the music for it um, based on that and that's really how this um, that came about, that project.
0: And so did you actually get to see it in situ or did you send him the music when you got back to England? Or,
1: Well, I I went away and I worked on it for a few months and I hadn't seen anything in the space because it hadn't been built other than he'd done a really good job of conveying what... Um, we'd have these calls and he'd just speak and I'd just touch type at like five thousand words per minute to keep up and just write everything down and then read it back and and um it would basically yeah it was kind of he he, he painted a good scenario of what he wanted and and then I just yeah, sort of guessed what I was doing and it, it seemed to work out. But I did go and see it and um I, I went and to give a talk there in um um December last year Mm. and it was yeah it's amazing it's like a mind spa it's the only way i describe it it's like something out of Black Mirror that you walk in and it's kind of this you know beautiful experience where everything is considered from where the you know what the seats are made of of to you know I can't think of anything else but you'd get a picture I do I'd really like to go there
0: right now (laughs) Great. well I think uh, I think we should hear another track then from this piece of work and let's listen to, to Lungs cool When you first sent me your list of cues and I read lungs, I really, it, it, I took a moment because, given that we're in this COVID nineteen pandemic, I, I don't think there's ever been a time where we thought so heavily about a particular part of our anatomy, and uh, and also it just I think speaks to the world at large and the fact that with nobody driving or very few people driving. The lungs, you know, the, nature is being allowed to breathe for, for once. And well, part of that, part of that brief actually, which I should have said, was that it was he wanted it to be about
1: the, the whole thing is about the human mind and body. The project I did with Kew Gardens was centered around nature because it was in Kew Gardens, and so those two things have sort of linked really nicely. And that um, there was, you know, a clear theme through the first record, which was then released as an album, and then there's a clear theme in this one, which has just been released as an album called '98', and then. Um, and so that continuation of, of themes sort of did fit in really well together. And um, I thought long and hard about the sort of different areas and how to best capture that in the music and also manipulating the, the cello, which is, I mean, that track is pretty much all, I think it's all cello. And um, I worked really hard at manipulating the sound of it to not sound like a cello at parts. And so that kind of slow breathing sound at the beginning is yeah. is a cello played almost like a pedal steel guitar where you're 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 plucking it and then you're introducing the the sound by moving a pedal so it's the whole thing is designed to have a a slow attack and um yeah and i i was really excited when i found that sound when i sort of managed to sculpt that sound it took about a day to figure out how to do it and then and then i just happened to see somebody a youtube video randomly popped up of somebody just playing the guitar (laughs) I thought that's exactly what I want to do. So I just I um I just sort of adapted the technique on the cello a bit, and um and yeah, I think it was kind of effective when the the sort of slow resemblance of the the human breath.
0: Oh, absolutely! No, you definitely got that. I really felt that rhythm, the breathing rhythm, really, really well done. Thanks. And I, and I just saw um, you on Insta, where you sent me the link to your YouTube channel. So listeners, if you want to check out, and I'm sure you will, more of Rob Lewis's music, do go to the YouTube channel. Um, and you recently, you were doing the loop cello and then you picked up a guitar. And I think you hadn't done that before. So, uh, do you like that sort of challenging yourself?
1: Yeah, I do, I do like it. I don't. I'm, I'm a sucker for doing it though because it's terrifying. And um, you know, I, mean, <laughs> every, <laughs> I always end up putting myself in these like ridiculous situations. When and halfway through, I'm like, Why did I do this? I could have just played the cello. <laughs> so easy. And um, and you know, I like I like feel I like being on the edge. I think that's kind of like what it's it's important to not get comfortable with everything you do. And that's in a way what this this time if if there was ever a good reason to come out of being in lockdown and stuff it's been a a good reason to sort of learn more push yourself further and which often there isn't the chance to do when you're going 100 miles an hour.
0: And uh, let's get to another piece of music this is going to be Flight of Ideas which comes from a documentary called Perception Um, and again this is a documentary that has yet to be released but I've read up about it it sounds absolutely sensational but do Again, give us a description of it so we can have that in our mind as we listen to the music.
1: I was approached by an editor i worked with on the previous project to do this um, soundtrack for a documentary called Perception and it's uh, um, about an artist, uh, Arabic calligraphy is his style and um, he he's called El Seed and he does these amazing murals as well as paintings and things but he had this idea to go to Cairo in Egypt and uh, to the Manshat Nasar district I'm probably saying that wrong but um it's basically the rubbish collection area of Cairo and he went there and had the idea to paint a mural across 50 buildings um
0: which is yeah. a mad thing
1: and, and they're building the buildings aren't like next to each other they're like obviously 3d it's like a neighbor. Na- it's like looking down from Ali Pali or something like that you know or Alexander Palace of London and and across buildings from there and sort of the all of these buildings lining up and and the mural coming together as one thing and it's a it's a beautiful documentary actually because it's what starts out as him um just going to do this piece of art turns more into this sort of socio journey of of appreciation for people who live in this this poor district of cairo and without spoiling it too much but it, it, it just has this great ending and culmination where they come together, um, and and the, and the the art's amazing as well, and it's just insane. It was just the kind of thing that would never be allowed to happen in London or any or any other major city.
0: In fact, when I when you sent me the queue and I was googling as we do, it said that the message on this building. He described it as if one wants to see the light of the sun, he must wipe his eyes, and that. The whole thrust of him creating this art in this very deprived area of Cairo was about withholding judgment on people because of their circumstances. Yeah. Which I thought was a really powerful message. It's,
1: and it's so cool the way, you know, his. It, it's so clear that the approach he goes in with, and it's the same one that I probably have. And, uh, you know, going in, you'd be like, oh, we're here to do this thing, and our objective is to finish the music or the art or whatever it is. And, and, you know, the, the sort of journey they go on during that process is, is something which is like, you know, the art becomes secondary to the to the actual message of the documentary. So yeah. Um, All right.
0: Well let's uh let's hear the track. It's called Flight of Ideas. You're listening to Soho Radio's Composers on Film and my guest is Rob Lewis and we are listening to music by you, Rob. And we're coming up to now a track called The Sea which came from your debut album, Momentum. And uh, we touched on this earlier, talking about Kew Gardens. You were very clear from the beginning that it was all going to be looped cello. Is that how you approached the album?
1: Yeah. they wanted they, The brief was about it being about nature and stuff and um, and they wanted it to be performed with a looping cellist and I'm not quite sure how they came up with that exact brief but that was the one that came so i ended up just sort of working out how to loop cello and this is the first piece i wrote for looping cello actually and um yeah and i i did it and then i i played it to a few people and had a really good response and so kind of just ploughed on <laughs> writing an album of music using that technique
0: and then was was this working with somebody at q gardens itself or was it an event external events organizer or was it so, is it cirque bijou who did yeah, the realist S- 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 exactly
1: it? so it was all commissioned by it was commissioned by q gardens but they commissioned cirque bijou who are a bristol-based amazing circus company and circus is in modern circus not clowns and custard pies uh, cream cream cakes or whatever but, but you know like uh aerialists and things like that and um yeah the, and so they got in touch um and they were great to work with and I, the, he he you know gave me a clear sort of fairly clear steer what it was going to be about but we had no idea and i just knew from i just knew that we were get we had these dates to workshop it but i just knew from previous experience of doing that kind of thing that if you haven't written anything and you turn up then it would just be a disaster. So I ended up just writing four or five pieces of music ahead of it and just sort of getting the idea of, um, nature. And we actually went to Kew Gardens before we had the workshop and met one of their sort of top researchers and he was talking about it. And it was all, it was all pretty exp- inspiring actually, because I'd never had such a sort of open brief before. Um, and sort of just thinking about how to resemble how different parts of, um, Wildlife could be resembled in music and tra- how that could translate.
0: Oh, you did a great job. Let's listen to The Sea. beginning with the c it just has this sort of um i don't know it sort of reminds me of tennis balls There's this lovely sort of ricochet feeling you've got i love it uh,
1: thanks yeah it's like a, a, de- a sort of delay happening between the uh the notes yeah. yeah yeah it's it was it's fun it's a it was a really fun sort of discovery to find that you can make music in such a sort of it, it, what sounds complicated is actually a very simple thing where you're just playing something and four bars later you've, you're playing something on top of it it's kind of a since then, it's evolved into this multi um, sort of multi technique thing. But the, the the stuff I wrote early on was kind of very sort of simplistic looping.
0: Well, now we're going to hear something very different. It's the music that you did for the Channel Four documentary "Inside the American Embassy," and um, and it's uh, the, when I looked at it online, it describes it as looking at diplomacy in the age of Trump, and I thought. That sort of sounds rather oxymoronic type sentence, <laughs> but that's just me. I, sh- I should remain apolitical, but nevertheless, um, this was was it last year this came out?
1: Um, it was 2000, and, I think it was 2018, actually. Yeah, I just, I just particularly, lo- I, I, I particularly enjoyed that um palette of kind of orchestral, sort of boisterous composition and um. Yeah, I, I wanted to include it because it just it was—it was a fun time, <laughs> even though the, the subject was variable in terms of fun. But it was a good, good way to express what you are uh, sort of um, your feelings were towards the, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: let's listen to this one. Um, in fact, we might play both pieces. I'll, I'll leave it to you to edit them together. But let's start with the mission. Cool. Two cues from inside the American embassy. And did you uh record in a studio for that?
1: I recorded actually all at my place, yeah, my own studio. Really, yeah. Um, that 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 cue actually was a a pitch for the job. Um, and the the title wasn't, I threw it together in three hours because that was all the time I had, and um, I didn't have time to to do that. So, but it was the one that won the job, and then actually, they, they were happy with it, and so there was never really it didn't seem like there was a need to go and re-record it. So um it just, it stayed, basically. Brilliant, Yeah, yeah. it's a
0: good practice in sort of production and mixing <laughs> to try and make it sound realistic for the pitch. And it seemed from what I saw online um of the episode that I watched, there was pretty much wall-to-wall music. Yeah. Was, was that how it ended up being?
1: Yeah, there was four, four, four or five episodes in the end. And um it was, yeah, it was a, a lot of music. I think probably... 60 to 70 keys in the end, or something like that. Um, maybe. And
0: and is this, I mean, when you're scoring, do you pay any attention or just have to ignore the fact that they are going to be putting the voiceover of the narrator for the series and then there's obviously the voice within the filmed clips and, you know, your score is having to dip under all of those, yeah. but I guess. Yeah, there's so much, especially with current
1: affairs stuff where it's, it's moves so quickly because it's otherwise it's out of date, you know, it's out of date a week later. So when you've got these, shows which are being made the turnaround's like ferocious it's it's not you know there isn't the time to kind of just um think about stuff in the way that you'd hope you there would be so you're essentially just writing as much music as you possibly can and then so in in a way there's there's bits of you, I was scoring to picture and then there's bits where the editors did a fantastic job of like you know they took the music and it's almost like this race of who can Write the music. If I can write the music first, (laughs) first, then it means they're going to cut the picture around the music, and um, that's obviously the best scenario because then you don't you don't end up in temp track land, and that's. um, So whenever I take on these projects, I I work like you know, like nothing else to build up a, at least a really solid sort of collection of tracks, which then actually allows you a bit of breathing space, a bit further down the road to sort of go back and review. But I think the worst scenario is where you know suddenly there's not enough music for them and they're just throwing in loads of temp tracks and then they get hooked on those and then it just doesn't it just stops being as creative as it could be I think and so for that that was just a you know Providing lots and lots and lots of music very very quickly,
0: and you're sending that to the editor or director yeah, or both.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, and there's yeah because there's four or five episodes happen being edited simultaneously. In Go the on. end, by the time the first week, you know it's just episode one, but then the second edit starts, and the third edit starts, and the fourth. So you're kind of being pulled in all directions. But okay, <laughs> yeah. But
0: yeah, it's a, it's a
1: it's it's actually really fun. I, I really I like I enjoy that kind of um, feeling of. Um, franticness that goes with it it's a it's um you know there's no there's no the great thing about it is there's very little time to think which is when it's going well it's brilliant and if it's not going well it's (laughs) terrifying
0: yeah well it sounds like you you got it you know they liked that piece judgment that was the last track we played yeah they were great
1: people and they yeah they were great people and it was a really lovely bunch of people to work with and it was inspiring and and you know they were into the music and i feel like when people work that way they almost bring out the best in you, and as well as as well as you delivering the the music, you're you know you're feeding off their energy. And if they're passionate about the project, them and they're and they're clear about what they want, I think that's that's the big thing. If if editors, produ- um, producers, directors, and kind of know a direction or have a feeling for a direction, that makes it a lot easier because you save a lot of time. Of. Uh, that sort of discussion, um, and then you can just sort of execute it. Yeah, as best as because I, I,
0: yeah, when it goes the other way, when they they can be sort of floundering or not quite clear on themselves, and then they, and then they expect you as the composer to basically be a magician to sort of fill in the gaps that they really haven't shot or hadn't thought of or didn't work out as they planned.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That stuff is all a learning curve, and it's it's interesting. And you have a lot. I've had a lot of conversations along the way about nothing, and you you have an hour and a half meeting or something, where you walk out no <laughs> wiser than when you went in. Uh, and then similarly, I've had five minute conversations with people where I've got the clearest idea of what they want. And um, you know, it's I think it's it's down to everyone to. to it doesn't have to. It's not a musical language thing either. It's not that I, I can. I don't need to have somebody articulate it in a theoretical way it's just uh, a starting point a vision i think is what is, has to happen if there's no vision from any then you're just all floating about really
0: and we're going to hear a track uh next called questions but this is this a cheeky premiere for soho radio because i think it's for a show that's still in progress or is it finished
1: yeah it is you know when you're like if you ever do anything creative if you're an artist or anything you always like the, the work that you did most recently the best you know so it's like oh, i'll throw in this one but it's for a show working on at the moment and um yeah, and um, I probably shouldn't say much more
0: than that. Really. <laughs> well, to I be well, I get
1: get sued at the end it, of it. But... <laughs> is, is
0: it a show that's been put on hold because of the COVID nineteen crisis, or
1: no? It's actually going ahead. So uh, oh good, we're working at oh. the moment alongside um, uh, a film and this series is. Um, were far enough that they sort of were able to carry on through this time
0: you know as a composer you are often staying home anyway and working in solitude so in some ways I guess it's business as usual just slightly slower than usual
1: do you know it's crazy actually like these days feel very very normal for me I I, my wife's a doctor and um so every evening when she comes home from working 23 hours (laughs) a day um I get a brutal reality of what's happening but um yeah I mean I spend a lot of time by myself in a room and um Surrounded by instruments,
0: So, mm.
1: I mean, yeah, you know, I'm in a good place with it Go at the moment. Track. Today. Today, yeah. Today, yes, let's okay.
0: focus on today. All right, well, let's hear the track called Questions. The next piece is... Two Spot Gobi track The Sun Will Rise and this is relevant because when I first met you and I was still living in Los Angeles you were in the band Two Spot Gobi and a shout out to Parisa who introduced us and so when how did you come to be in a band and was that something you really enjoyed because obviously you were then with other people as opposed to being a solitary musician or composer?
1: Yeah I mean I've my my career has been one which is I don't know if it's normal or abnormal, but I've done, I've done most things. You know, I started off as a, a classical cellist, and and then I was always really really into music technology from about the age of ten, and I was like using Logic. I went to Sussex, and then I was taking a guild tool as well, and and then during that time, I started a studio project at at the university as well, and as part of it, I had to kind of produce and mix some songs, and. I teamed up with um, a friend of a friend and we sort of started this project that later became the band and we, yeah, we, you know, toured far and wide and, um, and had some great moments and some, and then, it, you know, after five, six years, it imploded as most of these things do. I learned so much doing that. I was, you know, one of the driving forces behind it and um, got to work with some fantastic producers doing that process. And, and I think I like carried that forward. Um, into my composing stuff, and that you know, music tech and it's uh, and studios is I, uh, something I love, and I, I try to use I try to use those production skills as much as I possibly can in everything I do, um, and I think that's largely what um, the looping cello stuff I've been doing is why why it is what it is because having that sort of um, vision outside of the classical setting of the cello and um yeah so it, it, it was great you know I'm, I'm asking me if I'm pleased I'm if, if I miss being in a band like the answer is 100% no I don't miss being in a band <laughs> but <laughs> it was a good experience a, yeah yeah it was good you know there's ups and downs we did do some great things and, and some terrible things but it was um yeah, overall now the, the lovely thing about composing and is that you're just I love being one person and having the decisions and and being able to sort of just execute them quickly without having a conversation. And I like the collaborative thing as well that I'm, I'm doing a project with, um, uh, magic leap who are a tech company in, um, in Miami who do make sort of augmented reality stuff at the moment with, d- and I'm doing a film with them, um, and that, and working with their great in-house, uh, audio team as well. And, that's it's really fun. You know, we're bouncing stuff across the Atlantic to each other and I, I went out and collaborated with them. So I do really like that side of it and now I'm just sort of happy being in a studio alone and every now and then having some guests and people to work with here and there.
0: And we're gonna hear from the album The Sun Will Rise. Uh, the track is called Guiding Star. <laughs> All right. Well, now we're on to the part of composers on film where we hear some of your inspiration tracks. And um, the first one up is from a film I've never seen called Sneakers.
1: Yeah, it's it's by the soundtracks by James Horner. And you know, honestly, I don't, I actually don't listen to that many film soundtracks. I'm not somebody who's like a, a film composer fanboy, really. I just that when every now and then there's a soundtrack which you're like, that's great, and and this is one of those. Um, and it's just got a an immediate sense of atmosphere and sonically is just like, I, I just think it's really interesting. And um, the film now is, you know, it's, it's like a tech film, but it's a tech film from 25 years ago. And and there's code flashing across the screen. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> like.
0: Do you, do you think the score has sort of st- stood the test of time or does that? Sound yeah, I big? think it's, I, I think it,
1: to me, it has tested the test of time because just because I think if you l- use live instruments on stuff on the whole, obviously there's stylistic things, but I actually think that this is I think it's quite a timeless sound that he's he has there. And there's um I can't remember if in this this the key we're gonna play there's uh, the uh, soprano sax, but there's um the the use of that and, th- and things and his instruments. It it I I think it I think it does. And I think only things become dated when you're using loads of samples. Um <clears> because it becomes time-specific, whereas when instruments are played, like an orchestra, like an orchestra will, will never sound dated because it's being played. It's not, it's a, the sound is, you know, you could, of course, you can attribute the the composition style to a time, but actually, sonically, you know, an instrument being played is an instrument being played. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not like, I think I'm getting in circles, but it's not, you know, it's not like synthesizers where you're like, oh, that sounds like an 80s synth, which I'm now... Which has now come back into fashion, but yeah.
0: Now again, okay. Well, uh, let's listen and see and hear. I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you'd asked me to listen to that music first and said, "Do you, you know when when do you think that score was written? I would have said, you know, it could have been last year, this year. Yeah. In fact, the film is 1992.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And that, and the only reason why I, I know that soundtrack so well is because my brother, older brother used to listen to it so much. So it was, um, you know, I hadn't heard it for ages and then I dug it out about four weeks ago, coincidentally, before we even chatted about... Um, doing it coming on the show. So it's been kind of a kinda nice sort of uh resurrection of it for me. And um yeah, I
0: think it's I think it's I think it's just beautiful as well. I just think it's creates this amazing atmosphere around it. The next film, Moonlight, uh directed by Barry Jenkins and the score by Nicholas Brittell. Um and did you hear the music first or did you see the movie and then hear the music? No, I heard
1: the I heard the um I saw the music sorry I saw the music I it's been a long day I um saw the movie first and then um and then I I just heard the music everywhere and especially the cue that um that we're going to play it, I just thought it was like a really inventive thing and then there were so many so many conversations where you know oh we like this cue for 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 jobs and stuff we you know we're looking for something a bit like you know this and um i think everyone was having those conversations around that time but just because it was such an inventive use of the violin and um had such a great sort of uh um, sound around it it, but you know it it sort of teeters on the edge between being it just has a very raw feel to it doesn't it Um, oh gosh well we're about to we're about to hear it but it's um it has a very very raw sort of you feel like your face is right next to the strings when it's being played and um yeah, it's really cool, I think.
0: I really love the school to me, Mike, because to me it. it Works so beautifully in the film, yeah. And I also, it, it's so enjoyable to listen apart from the film. It's it's a really wonderful combination.
1: Yeah, and and I, I, his scores are great. I mean, I, I, on the Bill Street Good talk as well. I mean, I, I, you know, again, it's just he's got a real, uh, real kind of voice. You can tell it's him. Doesn't regardless of what the instrument is, and uh, yeah, it's superb like writing. Especially for you know for strings, it's great.
0: He's also done the school for the TV show Succession, which I've not seen, but I hear great things of. So you've actually um, okay. you've you've prompted me to go and check out both the other film and Succession. So thank you, Rob. Yeah, I will
1: do the same. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'll um, be here all day. Here
0: we go, but we're not. We the show is only an hour long. But um, so let's let's <laughs> move right on to a, a film. No, it's actually a TV series that I've not heard of before called The First. And again, a composer and artist i would not heard of either called Colin Stetson. So how did you come across him?
1: Yeah, I haven't actually seen the, the show actually, so I should preface that. But I have heard the album because it got re- got recommended. And um he is a Canadian uh, if I'm I think I'm right about this a Canadian saxophonist and he he uh his compositions use a saxophone and in a really kind of interesting way and he has a, a microphone which is like a snake and it has about a million microphones on it um goes inside the, the saxophone and it mics up the sounds of all the keys and and all the tapping and everything and he also sings through the saxophone and um yeah i just i just thought this was a great um example of somebody doing something really different and quite inspiring as well and with the stuff i've been doing on the um the cello making it not sound essentially like not like a cello but it's still having a sort of organic feel to it um I think he does it so so successfully on the saxophone, and um, yeah, he's 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 great. So um, this is one of the ones where he one of the cues from this show, which again I haven't heard, but haven't seen the show, but I just thought it was brilliant, and the kind of the way he's singing through the instrument uh, has this great resonance that you I just guess you can't can't capture <laughs> unless you're singing through a saxophone. So I know.
0: Yeah. Well, I I had to I um, listened to the. Q, well, the piece when you sent it to me and I'm like what am I listening to and then I did look it up online and it said it's for the series is about the first crewed mission to Mars so it has okay. that wonderful otherworldly sound to it let's hear the piece really cool track and while we're talking about composers and their sort of innovative use of of their instrument um i was wondering as a, a fellow cellist what you thought of the work of hilda gudner and her work on the joker and and chernobyl
1: yeah yeah i so i only saw chernobyl on the first couple of episodes on an airplane and so i can't really judge on the soundtrack because i couldn't hear it properly but um joker i saw and yeah it's just great to see the cello being used in um Lots because it's it, it rebounds back onto other cellos, which is great. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, yeah, I think I think it's cool. She comes from a, a different place when it comes to the cello playing than, than I do. In that it's it's very dark. Um, and uh, and I think it's kind of just it's in it's it's innovative what she does with it and stuff. And I think she tunes it down and everything. Um, and I've been sort of messing about with that having having seen Joker and it's yeah definitely it's just great to sort of see the instrument being um. Uh, given the spotlight and um, and also nice to have a, a female composer in a spotlight as well. Yes, I know. You know?
0: I, I couldn't believe it's like the first female composer to win an Oscar or something. Yeah, and brilliant. brilliant.
1: Yeah, exactly. And she, and she won it because her music was great and, as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Not, first and, yeah, first and foremost. First and foremost, just, yeah. So... Talking about Hilda and, and and being a cellist and how suddenly a particular style and instrument can become really popular and then much requested by other producers and directors, um, it reminded me of the last track we're about to hear from Thomas Newman from American Beauty and the sound at the beginning of the cue, I believe, is, is marimba. And I, it, I then, you know, would hear it on other pieces of music. So I also think while it becomes popular, is it as a composer, do you feel, oh, I have to really you know i can't sound exactly like that but you have to make it fresh even though that's what everybody wants
1: yeah it's a it's a tricky one i mean it, i think as soon as something becomes big everyone wants it right so you see, you see that you, that that's a pattern i think that american beauty soundtrack was like Tempted to death and you still hear it uh you know today because it was such a great soundtrack, it's just it's so innovative. It's you know you've got marimba, then you've got tabla, and then you've got the you know the American Beauty sort of famous piano one, which is essentially what everybody is trying to achieve in his kind of neoclassical piano movement. Everyone is trying to achieve that same uh, intimacy that he manages to capture an atmosphere surrounding this that incredible um, piano um, piece. And he, what Thomas Newman for me has throughout is he he manages to create through such a simple idea and such a simple use of an instrument he manages to create this kind of ambience around around what he does and it's hard to you know it's hard to replicate that because yeah you can you play the piano but it's the same instrument but you're not it's not the same effect and uh he has almost like a language and a feel and a touch i think when when those when it comes to composing which is it can be tempt but i think it's really hard to copy it and um I think the best thing you can do when you're given that is to try put your own your twist on it and think more about what what the emotion is in the cue rather than how to get that exact sound. Right. Because it's painful when we hear it, isn't it? It's painful when we hear something and we know that what the temp track was. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that happens, I think, a lot in films when you're watching it, and it's all documentary, and it sounds this cue sounds a lot like, uh, uh you know, this other one, and it's. And, but it's not; it doesn't. It's never really going to achieve it. So I think that's. I think that's as much up to filmmakers to to reflect on than it is composers, because composers are often just you know following brief and up against it and trying not to get fired. So <laughs> you know it's it's uh, it's a juggling act. Um, and I think only if you're you know a bit more experienced, perhaps possibly, and a bit more um, established, then you possibly can push back a little bit more, but. I definitely find it quite hard to push back when you're just really keen to gun ahead and, you know, um, make everyone happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I I, swear, I I I come across it in my own work as a music supervisor because, yeah. you know, the director knows what they want and these are tracks and they've lived with that project in t- You know, sometimes for years and then you come on and you're high because, you know, you get along and you maybe pitch some ideas or whatever and then you don't always love the ideas that they've, given to you (laughs) and no, and so but you have to be very careful because it is their vision first and foremost so I think what I try and do is like you know always have a plan b and I'll always try and get what they want but then I try and then just sort of you know drip feed other ideas to kind of just open up the you know possibility of of swaying away from whatever they fell in love with on the temp track or whatever they thought was going to be the only track to go with in fact when I when I do um talks for film students I always say you know don't get yourself in that rut of like I have to have this song if if I don't have this song because you may not be able to afford it number one and then also we're talking about you know trends in scoring I said don't you know, automatically go for what's become the sound, you know, try and get a relationship going with a composer where you really allow them to breathe. And as you said earlier about having that conversation on the American Embassy uh, series, you really get that lovely back and forth of creativity, them as a filmmaker and you as a composer. And then between you, you find something that works uniquely for the project.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And if you've got somebody you know like yourself who's on your side as the composer, then that helps tremendously. You know, it's great when there's somebody else doing it. I, th- I think the the I think I, there was a period of time, sort of early on, when I was composing stuff that I, I came up against it a lot. But now, the more you build up a catalogue, and the more you people are like wanting to to go with you because they like your style, the less that kind of becomes a problem. Um, and that's kind of a nice sort of progression to feel like that's happening. That you're, um, you know, someone's coming to you because they want the specific thing you do, as opposed to they want you to sound like somebody else. Um, right. And and I don't mind. I never mind having a conversation about influences and what people like and the sound they have. But I think it's kind of you've got to put your own voice on it, your own stamp on it. Otherwise, you end up just not having an identity. And I think the thing that's been that's really furthered my career. Because you know I haven't been haven't been composing for a picture like that long, but the thing that's accelerated it has having your own sound or trying to have your own sound, and so this, the things with looping cello and and pushing that into it as much as you can, and, and having a even if it's really subtle, um, having just something that makes you stand out, so you're not using the same sample libraries as everybody else, and you're mm. actually creating sound that goes back to what we talked about with the sneakers soundtrack, and that you're, you you end up with something a little more timeless probably because you know, sample libraries get updated and that string sound or whatever sound for, or whatever instrument becomes a thing of the past. And uh, and when you're playing stuff and you're creating your own atmospheres and textures and things like that, that I think, and if you can weave that in as much as possible, at least that's my that's my uh, mission. <laughs> then I, I've, I found that that's been a really, really great way to kind of, um, to find a middle ground, I think, between what people... You know, people wanting the Hollywood soundtrack and wanting something original.
0: Ah, oh, makes perfect sense to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, me too. But uh, <laughs> who are we? <laughs> and all, all <laughs> well, yeah. I? Well, all you Holly,
0: all you Hollywood producers out there, hope you're listening to a composers on film, you know what to, do, and you know what to do. Go and hire Rob Lewis. Well, why don't we uh, go out with the cue from American Beauty as yeah, the, cool. the final track from the show. Right. So thank you, Rob. Thank you for your time. From, and you. uh, and it was lovely to talk to you because we've been talking about doing this in various times on and off. And then um, what better time than to choose during a pandemic?
1: Exactly. I'm the pandemic <laughs> interviewee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks for joining us on, on uh, Composers on Film. And here is a piece by Thomas Newman from American Beauty.